Well, good morning, church. I am so glad to be here this morning. I spent yesterday on my roof, so I'm glad to be here. I'll tell you a little bit more about that later on, but I am so glad to be here with you guys. We are looking for the last several weeks and perhaps one or two more on what it means to be a healthy church. I didn't go looking back to the church I grew up in or some of the other churches that I'm well aware of and been a part of and some of the most successful churches in America, some of the largest churches in America at conferences. I get to spend time with people like that, but I didn't go looking there. I went back to the first century church and even the second century church. And, you know, it's interesting, as time has gone on from the first century church on, the, the church seemed to change and morph and, and become something else. And so much of it took a, a direction of tradition, and other of it, others of it took theology and went all kinds of different directions. But, but looking back at the followers of Christ after Jesus left this planet and he left here, and, he, and he, said, he said, listen, it's good for you that I'm going because the very nature and spirit that I have, who I am, I'm going to give to you. When you become a follower of Christ, my very spirit is going to come and live inside of you. And what God not only did is, is the very spirit and nature of his son, he gave to us to live inside of us, but, but he also gave us his word. For thousands and thousands of years, he has purposed to protect it and preserve it so you and I can live in the benefit of his word. His children, he cares that much about us. And what he wants us to do, he sent his son to die for us so that we could be in relationship with him. Once again, restored in relationship with God. That was the big deal. And that he could be our savior and our redeemer. And the reality is we're sinners. And we're sinners by nature. I don't have to take a two-year-old kid and put the two-year-old kid on a stool and say, here, let, let, me, let me explain to you how to be selfish. And, and give them the, their toy and then, and then take their toy away and say, no, mine, you need to say, no, I, you, don't have to tell, you don't have to tell a two-year-old kid that by very nature. You go to Walmart, you're going to see this. You're going to see screaming kids at that cash register because of what the things they want. It is our very nature, and it starts at a very young age. And we live in a culture that is self-centered. And with social media, our culture is self-obsessed. I mean, we, we, we have, we're going to lengths that, that now that I, th I think are mind-boggling. But, but just, just because we're talking this morning about generosity... I had to go do more research, and there's, there's all kinds of articles and blogs and, and things out there, but there's one, there's one actually that says science shows us that we are selfish. It's like we need science to tell us we're selfish. We are inherently selfish, right? So I, I looked through this article, and one of the things that I noticed is, is in this article is that, that men, relax ladies, men are typically more selfish than women. And some of you ladies are saying, well, I do that, right? 
And the more I went into this article, it, 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 there, were, there were detail after detail. As a matter of fact, they said that, that guys who go to the gym and work out are way more selfish than guys who don't. If that's you, I'm not, I'm not pointing, I'm not picking, not, that's just what it is. So, so ladies, if you're looking for a husband, you want to go for the guy that's headed for the pizza shop instead of the guy that's headed for the gym. And as, you, as I went on through this, you know, they started talking about, do you, if you fly, how many of you, if you fly on a plane, you like the window seat? And how many of you, if you fly on a plane, you like the aisle seat? Because nobody likes the middle seat. Just the, the aisle, okay. Well, in this article, not pointing a finger at you, in this article, people who sit by the window are inherently more selfish. Shut up. I love the window. I desperately love it. I, I want to go in there. I want to see, number one, and then I want to sleep. There's nothing else I want to do on a plane. Now, um, now Wes, Wes will probably cancel a flight if he can't get on the, on the window seat. He gets into that window seat, and, and before the plane takes off, he's, he's somewhere else. He's asleep before we can even get to the runway. And, and that's, it, that's where, where he lives on planes, asleep. It, you know, we're, we're, we're more, some of us, are, this article was, was interesting. But ladies, I got to tell you, you, you think you're off the hook. Two ladies, if this is a scenario for you, if you're, if, lady, if you're sitting there with your best friend who is a lady or a close friend who is a lady, and there's a plate with chocolate cake on it, and there's two pieces on that chocolate cake. And this is, this, this is described in this article. Two pieces, but one of them is a little bit larger than the other. Guess what, ladies? You will diss your friend and eat the larger piece of cake before they get to it. We, we inherently, and Jesus comes on this scene and he says, listen, it is not about getting more of what you want. It's not about getting your way. But our culture says indulge yourself. Get all you can because it's all about you. But forget Jesus for a minute. Let's go further back. Let's go to Solomon. Let's go to Proverbs 21, 26. Look what Solomon says. He says all day long he craves and craves. The lazy and the selfish he's talking about there. All day long he craves and he craves but the righteous, oh, so there is somebody different. But the righteous gives and does not hold back. There, there, there are two different ends of the spectrum here. He does not hold back. This morning I want to talk about three different mindsets. As I look in Scripture, and I've looked over, the, over, over the, a number of years at this whole subject, and I, I, I keep coming up with these three different classifications because I think Scripture just pops them in there real clearly. And the first one is the bag mindset. It's, it, it's a bag mindset. It, it's the mindset that says there's never enough. We never have enough. We are, we, it's a poverty mindset. And in, 
in Haggai chapter 1, verse 6. And let me set the context for you. Over the course of the years through the Old Testament, over and over again, the children of Israel, over and over again, they, they, and I've said this before, they get, they get close to God in their relationship with God, and they ride that for a while, and then they just kind of drift away. And a lot of us do that in our lives with God. We do, we do that. And then, so they drift away, and things get so bad that they come running back and crying to God, please take us back. We, we, and what does God do? He opens his arms, and he brings them back into fellowship. And this is a cycle. It goes over and over again through the Old Testament. For some of us, that cycle goes on in our lives. It's exactly the same. But, but this here, and, and the, this was a, in, in, in Haggai chapter 6, this was a time when the children of Israel were distant from God. They, they were just taking care of themselves, and in doing it that, that way, they really weren't taking care of themselves. And as a matter of fact, they, had let the, they were not taking care of the temple at all. They were focused on themselves, and, and they were living in the consequences of that, not taking care of the temple. And in verse, verse 6, he says, you have sown so much. He, he, he stops and gives them a description of themselves. He says, you have sown so much. You, you're putting so much seed in the ground, and you're not really getting great return." You're sowing so much and bringing in so little. You eat, but you don't have enough. You drink, but you're not filled with drink. You clothe yourselves, but nobody's warm. In other words, what you're doing isn't working. And then he goes on to wages. He says, and your wages. You earn wages to put them in a bag, but the bags have holes in them. And what comes in goes out. And I'm looking at America today, and so many Americans, that's where they live. Paycheck to paycheck, what comes in goes out. And God just shakes people at times and says, dude, you're going to keep doing it your way, or are you going to listen to me? And what go, in America, we don't, live, we don't, they live paycheck to paycheck, we live paycheck to paycheck, but it's even worse than that. See, not only is it paycheck to paycheck, but it's paycheck to paycheck with a credit card. So we're not spending 100% of what we make. We're spending 110% of what we make. And, and ultimately, see, every path has a destination. And ultimately, this path is going to have a destination. It's, it's going to mean financial ruin because that, that, that's a trajectory that you just cannot change unless you get fed up enough to actually change it. And we offer FPU here so that you can change that in your life. And when we offer it, I'll, I'll jump on and get in the class, take advantage of the class, let God change that area in your life. We don't put God first. As a culture, we just don't do it. So we live in the bag mentality that says it's never enough. We say things like, I'd love to give, but I, I just don't have it to give. And you probably don't. What just comes in goes out. You know, what, you know what's interesting about the bag mentality? Judas. Judas was one of the 12 disciples, and Judas held the bag. Judas had a bag mentality. Not only did he have a bag mentality, he held the bag. He was the money keeper. And there's a powerful story in Mark chapter 14 of a lady who was, who was, who was at one time a prostitute, and she met Jesus, and Jesus transformed her life. He showed her love and truth and grace, and her life was, when you genuinely meet 
Jesus, accept him as your Savior, your life is different. That's why we have water baptism out here, out here on, on the patio, because, because the reality is we're, we're symbolically saying I'm, I'm, the old me is going down and the new me is coming out. And I want everybody to know I am now a follower of Christ, and I, and I want God to be at work in my life. I want God to be in the process of changing me from, from where I was to where he wants me to be. And this woman had her life transformed by Jesus. And as an act of worship, she took a bottle of perfume and poured it on Jesus, simply as an act of worship. And Judas freaks out. He said, we could have taken that bottle of perfume and sold it. That bottle was worth a year's wages of the average person in their day. That sucker was worth a lot of money. Judas was total, Judas's perspective on money was totally distorted. Jesus just sat there, and, and you know what she was doing? She was worshiping. She was worshiping her Savior. She was recognizing the one who her life now is totally different because of him. See, every path has a destination, and even in our finances, every path. Judas, his distorted view on money took him down this path to the place that he was willing to deny Jesus, to betray Jesus for 30 pieces of silver, which he actually th- threw when he, when he recognized what he had done. See, every, every path has a destination. This mindset, we hear something like, money doesn't grow on trees, and, and, and that's true, it doesn't, but, but a phrase like that can shape our thinking about money. We hear phrases like, the rich get richer, the poor get poorer, and, and we actually embrace that and start believing. There's an element of truth there, but, 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 and, but then we come to the place where we say, you know, I, I wish I could do more, but, or, or, or the mentality, we are always going to struggle, and, and we let that shape our thinking, and and this whole, it becomes a mindset. It becomes where we are. It becomes who we are. I believe as followers of Christ, we need to, we, and listen, I am, I, I am not into prosperity doctrine at all. I, I just don't believe that stuff. I don't, I don't believe that, that anybody on television or not should say to you, if you give $380, God's going to give you $350,000. I just don't buy this. It's just not. It's just, you know, if it works for them, fine. It works because this is America and television. Works. I, I, I'm just not into that. It's not what I'm saying. We're opening up our Bible, and we're looking at the first century church. And what does God have to say about this subject? I believe as followers of Christ, we, we just need to leave the bag mindset behind. Because the bag mindset says there's never enough. But the basket mindset says there is enough. There is always enough. See, the basket includes blessings. When we're a follower of Christ, Christ becomes involved in every area of our lives, and the areas that we become obedient are the areas that we will flourish in. The areas that we are not obedient are the areas we're going to struggle with. There's nothing complicated about this. He said, you know, way back in the Old Testament, in Deuteronomy 28, he says this, all these blessings will come on you. It doesn't even say to you. It says all these blessings will come on you. And accompany you if you obey 
your, the Lord your God. It's, it's about obedience. And then he goes on to say, your basket. See, that's where I get that word from. Your basket and your kneading trough will be blessed. It will always have stuff in it. It will be blessed. He makes it so clear. There's a passage of Scripture that I grew up hearing. I grew up hearing it in the King James Version, and then, and then in the New International Version, you'll probably re- recognize that. It says, give, and it will be given to you. This is Jesus talking, by the way, in case you didn't know who said this. Jesus said this. You know, the Son of God came to Jesus said this. He says, give, and it will be given to you. You know what he didn't say? He didn't say, keep, and it'll be given to you. He didn't say, hoard, and it'll be given to you. He said, give. Give, and it will be given to you. A good measure. This is so cool the way he describes it, because he describes it in a way that they totally understood. See, most of these people, see, they were farmers, and, and they would go out, and they would, they would pick, pick the, the vegetables or pick whatever they were picking in the grain, and, and they would put it into a, a, a a, bas- a basket, and, and, and they would pick for a while, and it would kind of fill up, and then they would have to jiggle it and shake it so it would go down so they could put more in it, and, and, and it would keep doing it, and then they would pile it so, that it so that it was totally full, and Jesus latches on to that because he knows they understand it. He says, Give, given to you a good measure, pressed down, shaken together, and running over will be poured into your lap, for with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. And that's what Jesus has to say about this. But I know there are people that you think are more important than Jesus, and you'll listen. See, Jesus understood you can keep what you have or you can give it. But if you keep what you have, that's all you have. But when you give it, then more can be given to you. And I grew up on, on, I knew this passage and probably so many uh, broken it down. And and the thing that amazed me is just this week, I opened up my message Bible and I pulled this verse out in the message Bible and I got smacked on the back of the head by God. He, He takes this so far beyond just money. He takes it to every area of our life. Look what he says. He says, don't pick on people. Don't jump on their failures or criticize their faults unless, of course, you want the same treatment. He's not even talking about money there. And then he goes on to say, don't condemn those who are down. That hardness can boomerang. We all know what that means. Be easy on people and you'll find life a lot easier. Give away your life, and you'll find life will be given back to you. But not merely just given back, he says. Given back with bonus and blessing. Bonus and blessing. Giving, not getting, is the way to generosity. Generosity begets generosity. He gives us such clarity on this issue. A lot of us are kind of like Judas. We're just so hung on this bag mentality that our culture lives in. And listen, we are not only talking about money. This bag mentality that, you know, I 
We only have that. There's a story. Let me throw a couple of quick stories at you. There's one in 1 Kings chapter 17 about a poor widow and her son. And, and, and her, this poor widow and her son, the prophet Elijah come to, come to, to visit this woman. And just before he gets there, it, it, talks, it, it kind of sets the stage for us. It gives her where she is in life and what's going on. This is a widow and her son, and the only thing she has, okay, she's got like two tins. Maybe she's got more, but they're all empty. The only two tins that have something in them is a little bit of oil in one, and there's a little bit of flour in the other one, and that's all she has. And she states, she states, what I'm going to do is take these two, and I'm going to make a small loaf of bread, and then my son and I are going to die. You think you're in a tough spot in life? This is, and then the prophet comes in and says, would you, would you give me a loaf of bread? And so she says to the prophet, I have this much flour and this much oil, and I'm going to make a loaf of bread, and then my son and I are going to die. And Elijah says, would, would, you, would you give me? some bread. And, then you, you know, it's like, what, what, what's really going on here? I mean, what, why would the prophet, I mean, he could go anywhere, but he went there. And interestingly enough, this is recorded in scriptures, but it's placed here for you, and God wants us to hear this story. And she has this courageous choice of faith. And she believes that the prophet is God's man, and what he's asking is what she should do. And so she trusts God, and she makes him, and she gives him the bread. And when you read on in that story, from that day forward, she, God always multiplied everything that she ever needed. Everything that she ever needed was always there. She was at a place where she had almost nothing, and she and her son were ready to die, and God asks her a question, and she responds in faith to what God is asking. And from that day forward, Scripture records it. Read the story. Everything this woman ever needed was there. In the New Testament, Jesus is teaching. There are 5,000 men there, and Bible scholars tell us that there were at least 5,000 women and oh, 5,000 kids, so 15,000 people these people came to hear Jesus teach. They probably think, well, we'll go hear Jesus teach for a while, and then, then, we'll, then we'll go on home. And Well, when you're sitting there and Jesus is sharing truth and the power of, of God speaking to, to you through, the, through his very son, they lost track of time. No, but all of a sudden, everybody's hungry, and the disciples come to Jesus and say, everybody's hungry. What do we We, we got to get, we got to let them go. We gotta, and Jesus says, what do we have? Nobody has any. Nobody's thought about food except this one little kid who probably was just like everybody else, but his mother was thinking, who knows how long this kid's going to be out. Let me give him a lunch. So she gives him five loaves and two fish. And so they're, they're asking, who's got food in this? Well, I've, I've got my lunch that mama made. And they take it up to Jesus, and what does he do? He prays for it, he blesses it, and he starts dishing it out. 15,000 people. 
and he's dishing it. And at the end of the 15,000 people, the Bible says there's 12 baskets left over. There are leftovers, 12 baskets full. Why 12? I don't know. It doesn't tell us. But I think, I think Jesus wanted his disciples to walk away from there knowing there is nothing impossible with their God. And they had to carry those baskets back just so that they would remember that. It, 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 it's, it's incredible. The basket mindset. And then there's the barn mindset. There is way more than enough. I got to tell you, we live just in terms of where we live. We live in the greatest country on the planet. I don't know that there's ever been another country. You, you, can, you can rant and rave about your issues. Have at it. Some of, you, some of you loved Obama. Some of you loved Trump. Some of you hate Trump. Some of you love Obama. And you're all sitting here together. Nah, nah. The, the Trump people survived Obama, and the Obama people are going to survive Trump. Get used to it. Don't get focused on so many of the issues. We need, to, we need to live gratefully in the place that God has placed us. And we are so blessed to be in this nation. My father used to say all the time, and he was an unbelievable patriot. Uh, and my dad used to say, America may not be first, but it's way ahead of whoever is number two. And... Uh, we're just flat out blessed to live here. Forget all the nonsense. That's all I have to say about that. The barn, Proverbs chapter 3, verses 9 and 10. Honor the Lord with your wealth. Now, let me give you clarity. He doesn't say, hey, you rich people, honor the Lord with you. We all have wealth. Honor the Lord with your wealth, with the first fruits of all your crops, he says. Then your barns will be filled to overflowing, and your vats, that carries the wine, by the way, your vats will be filled to the brim with new wine. What does God want? He just wants the first 10%. Honor the Lord with your wealth with the first fruits. See, you can wait to the end and see if you have enough to give him 10%, but that doesn't take any faith. Without faith, it's impossible to please God, the Bible says. And so by faith, we give him the first 10%. We, 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 the first fruits of our crop. And, 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 you know, the first day of the year we, we celebrate, and the first day of the week we meet here together and worship Him. Give Him your first. See, we're doing one of them for sure just by meeting here. Give Him your first. And He says, the first of any increase. He says, give Him the first ten, the, the tithe, which, is, which actually means 10%. Give it to Him. See, God gives us what we have. He allows us and he strengthens us and we're able to, to, to accomplish, especially here in America. And all he says is, give me back. Worship me with 10%. Question is, who is Jesus? Jesus is the Son of God. Do we all agree? A couple of you do. Jesus is the Son of God. Do we all agree? Yes. 
He's the Lamb of God. Do we all agree? He was a sinless man. Do we all agree? He, he had no sin. He was perfect. God sent his son, his perfect one and only son, first. Are we sinners? Am I a sinner? Well, Karen said yes. Am I a sinner? Are you a sinner? Are we all sinners? As a result of that, we need a Savior. Relationship is broken here. God sent his son first before we even confessed our sins, before we even recognized that we were sinners. He, God always moves first, and, and he calls us to move, and, and he sets the example, and he says, if you'll be obedient, if you'll do what I'm asking you to do, then I will do what I told you I would do. And I picked up just a few verses for the, the, the Bible from one end to other, from Genesis to maps. And the, it's all full of story after story after story where God talks to his people. He says, just be obedient and do this. And if you do this, you will live in my blessing. I got to tell you, I, I don't ever... I don't ever remember the mentality for me of the bag. I just don't remember it. Because the reality is, I believe when you become a follower of Christ, we need to step into the basket mentality. Because that is what God is asking us and telling us and encouraging us, and promising us. He did not hold back. He doesn't hold back. He never holds back. And he didn't hold back when it came to redeeming us from our sins. He did it first, and he says, now come, worship me. A healthy church is a church that recognizes it is not about us. You know what we are? We are in the family. We are one of his children. We, we are a part of his family. You know what we have? We have forever. When we leave this planet, and you might be thinking, well, that's a long way off. Not always. Not always. And a lot of us are thinking, Getting closer. And if you're over 50, you're thinking of how, much, how many days you have left as opposed to how many days you've had. And, and we see this 70, 80 years as, as forever, and the reality is it is this vapor. The scripture talks about it. It is this vapor of time that we are here on this planet. And God has us here to learn some lessons, and he has us here because he's building our character, and he's building who we are. Because someday we're going to leave this planet, and we're not taking our stuff, we're not taking our money, we're not taking all the stupid things that we felt were the most important thing in life. We're taking our character. We're his children, and forever is a long, long time. And so we don't just give 10%. basket 
There's always enough in the basket. I got to tell you, I spent yesterday on my roof. And uh, the reason for that is three weeks ago, that storm came through and we were having dinner. Chris Oakley, a friend of ours from Nashville, was in town and some other friends that he had from California came in from California. We were sitting there having dinner and I'm watching out the window because I love watching a storm. And this wind is whipping, the palm trees are bending and, and all this is happening outside and all of a sudden these really loud noises started slamming on our roof and we thought maybe a tree hit the roof or something. I don't know what, but, but we found out later that night that, that the back half of our roof had come off and flipped over past the front half of our roof so we didn't have a roof. And so Monday, uh, I think it was Monday, the day after, we're, we're up on the roof covering it all with plastic and putting cap nails down, doing the whole thing. And, and then, then the next day, another storm comes through, or the day after, and, and it ripped that off. And so uh, Karen and I, several, several different times, at least three times, maybe four, were, were in our house with buckets and mops and all that stuff, and water's dripping out of the light fixtures and the whole deal. And I'm talking with the insurance company and going through that whole process, which is just wonderful. And, and, and and so we're not, still not even knowing where it's going to, all going to land, but, but a, a contractor friend of ours who's a very good friend of our church family, and he came to me and he said, listen, I'll get my roof for here and see if you can get some guys together and we'll get up there. And so we all got up on the roof. We tore almost the whole roof off and put, a, put new plywood down on, on all of it except for one section that's going to be done tomorrow. And, 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 and five or six guys from our church family came over, and, and I got to tell you, I, I, I was just so blessed. And, and, and they were willing to stand out there and stay in the heat with me, and we worked like, I, 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 don't, I don't know who works like that. I, I ju it just became so clear to me how blessed and fortunate I am to be a part of, not just because of that, but to be a part of this family. I got to tell you, yeah. I look back, looking back, the rearview mirror tells you so much sometimes. You can't stay focused on it, but you got to look at it. I look back. And I have told you guys over and over again, I started tithing when I was a kid because my dad was a pastor and he explained it to me and it made absolute sense. And if that's who God is, I'm in. And I look back all through my life, it's not been a bag mentality. It hasn't always been easy, but it's always been at least a basket mentality. And I, at this point in my life, just me, you could do whatever you want. At this point in my life, I just want the barn mentality. I, and and it, we're not talking, let, don't get confused here. We're not talking sizes of dollars. It, it will affect that, and it does affect that in some people's lives. But that's not what we're talking about. What we are talking about is recognizing who God is believing Him. Well, we want to believe Him for our salvation. That's, that's safe and that's easy. But do you want to believe Him? If you're going to believe Him, you better believe Him in every area. Because if you don't believe Him in every area, are you really believing? 
you know? But I'm telling you, for my life and for the lives of people around me, and so many of you that are sitting here this morning, if I were to ask you to, I'm not, but if I were to ask you, you would stand up and say, that is absolutely right, and I'm living it, and I love it, and I'm grateful for it. And I know so many of you, I could call you right now, and you would come up here, and you would stand right here with me, and you would make that statement with a grateful heart. It says he didn't hold back. And God, his firstborn son, gave. He did not hold back. In this series, I'm, I'm, I'm just... Every week, I'm just just saying, listen, it is my honest opinion that what you should do is let go of the bag mentality and get into the basket mentality and believe him in the area of your finances. And for some reason, I don't know why, for some reason, He chose in Malachi to talk about this in a different way than any other area of life. He never does this, but with money he did it. He turned and he says, test me in this. Test me. You give me 10. See, I believe there's a biblical principle. Out of 100%, we give God 10%, we save 10%, and we live on the 80. If you're doing that, You're going to hit retirement, and you're going to be fine. If you're young and you're listening, the older person next to you will smack you on the back of the head and say, listen to this guy. But he said in Malachi, listen, if if you'll do what I, test me. God himself looks us square in the face and says, test me in this. He doesn't know the area of our lives, but with finances, he knows what an issue it is for us. He says, test me in this and see if I will not open up the windows of heaven and pour out more of a blessing than you can handle. And then he goes on to say, and I will protect all your stuff. That's not me promising. That's God. Let's stand together. Father, this morning, Lord, I pray that our church family not in, not in light of, of finances and not in light of, of raising funds and not in light of anything, although with a clear recognition. And let me stop in the middle of my prayer and talk to you because God can handle that, you know. The, the reality is our church is going to be fine if you don't tithe, if you, stop, if, you, if you decide not to tithe. Our church will be fine. We'll be okay. But there's a part of our community that we will never reach because we have not raised the level. That's the only, that's what it'll affect. We'll be fine. Our staff will be fine. We'll be okay. That's not the issue here. The issue here is obedience and living in the benefit of obedience. Lord, we thank you. Father, I thank you for your word that has been so faithful in my life. And I can look out across this group of people and even the first service and see so many people whose lives you have changed and recognize so clearly that we are the ones 
that you have called to be a healthy church. And the reality is it is not just about us. It's about the family members who are part of our church that are not yet here. Father, help us not to forget them. May we be diligent in every way. This morning, let me just continue for just a moment here. With every head bowed, every eye closed, if you've never accepted Jesus as your Savior, and you would like to do that, if you, if you want to be part of His family, the Bible says all you need to do is, is recognize that Jesus is the Son of God and He died for your sins, and believe that, and confess it with your mouth, and you will be saved, the Bible says. You'll be a part of His family. With every head bowed, every eye closed, so I would know who I'm praying for. If, the, if you want to do that right now, just slip your hand up and put it right back down. Just do it quickly. Real quickly. Thank you. Father, thank you so much. Lord, we love you. We are grateful that you love us so much. Each one of us, each individual, we are the apple of your eye. Not talking about the person in here who's more spiritual or more attractive or more wealthy. We're talking about you. Thank you for loving us so much that you were willing to not hold back and give your all, your only firstborn son. We love you. And with grateful hearts this morning, we worship you. We praise you. Thank you, God. Bless us, Lord, now as we leave. Bless our prayer team as they're up here praying with people. In your name we pray. And everybody said, amen.